I, I was like, I was going to keep that in there, but I guess oh, I can't. I would have, I would have recorded. It can't really recreate that. <laughs> yeah, I would have recorded your love of the Weather Channel. I love the Weather Channel, dude. It's it's awesome. Weather's weather is like the most brutal and beautiful thing in the world. You can't mess with weather. <laughs> like wars and all that. Weather weather trumps that all the time. Weather's gonna weather, weather don't play. So Ned has been on board with us pretty much since the very beginning. And the really cool thing that I've noticed is that. When they first started with us, there were just a couple of products on the website, more than a couple, but they've really been increasing on what they're doing. And the latest of which really is the sleep blend that they're really pushing out there. 50 million Americans suffer from sleep disorders. Many of them are prescribed sleeping pills and subsequently become addicted. We've spoken about that before. And there's a better way. And that's why Ned created it. Sleep deeper for longer and wake up refreshed. Ned's Sleep Blend is a natural path to steady, consistent, and deeper sleep. This tincture blends CBN, a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep, with 750 milligrams of CBD made from the world's purest single-source, full-spectrum hemp oil, and organic and wild-crafted botanicals used in traditional medicine to foster rest. If you want to know more about CBN, Cannabinol CBN is a cannabis compound that occurs naturally as the cannabis plant ages. Previously seen as a throwaway byproduct, it has recently been recognized as an all-natural way to catch some disease. And I can tell you for myself, man, getting back into the gym, I've been working out more now that things are opening up. And if you don't get a good night's sleep, it affects absolutely everything. And some of you guys need that boost. Yeah, I I honestly... Uh... If you're a runner, it, it definitely affects you. You got to get your sleep. I can tell when my running is sluggish or when I'm fresh and I actually feel like I'm I'm young, <laughs> young again. But even when I was young as well, younger, um, yeah, when you don't have good enough sleep, you just you feel like you're running in quicksand and it's just it's just everything is slow motion. And so and runners that uh, can attest to that. So that's why you, they always I always advise you take a nap, get extra sleep. But if you're not sleeping well throughout the night, you're going to be able to tell no matter if you get a nap or not, which the, the sleep aid does. So get a good full night's sleep. You're going to feel better in the morning and feel more positive. And if you're like myself and Ian, you work out uh, regularly, it's going to affect your workouts positively. And especially if you're a runner, you can tell the difference if you have a full night's sleep or if you happen to be popping up every two or three times a night. So, yeah, yeah definitely and, and pair it with the CBD oil. And yeah, you're going to have awesome, nice sleep. Like I, I know I have since I started doing it. 100%. It affects your mood, affects everything. So uh, as we always say, Ned products do contain a minuscule amount of THC, less than 0.3% as allowed by law. This level of THC makes Ned full spectrum hemp a non-psychotropic, meaning it will not get you high despite the trace amounts of THC in full spectrum hemp. It is possible to fail a drug test, even at a low serving size. So if your livelihood depends on it, we strongly advise against using ingestible hemp products, but they have other things on the site like the um, immunity blend and the body butter. You could use all of that, but we like to throw that out there. And uh, with their ambassador email that we get regularly, I could I could let you guys in on this. They're going to have a 24-hour flash sale, $10 off all orders on October 29th and uh, through October 30th. So get on that. Yeah, it's only 24 hours. Uh, $10 off basically anyone who opts into the SMS alerts from Ned. And then on top of that, of course, if you want to check out Ned and try their CBD for yourself, we have a special offer for the podcast audience. Go to helloned.com slash battleline 
or enter Battleline at checkout for 15% off your first one-time order or 20% off your first subscription order, plus free shipping. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Battleline to get that 15% off or 20% off subscription order. Don't forget to use slash Battleline or the promo code Battleline. And uh, yeah, you'll be able to take advantage of that. Thank you, Ned. And of course, every show, our great friends at Fort Scott Munitions who cannot keep things stocked enough. And I moved away from the microphone because I do love my oh, Fort Scott. What? Yeah, no, I, I I bought it. They didn't oh, send me it. Like, they the sent hell? me it, but I, I used our promo code, everything. I was like, that is a badass hat. That is a badass hat. Yeah. So yeah, even if you're not shooting at the moment or you don't have or you don't need ammo, they have great merchandise. So yeah, check them out. Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact <clears throat> in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did their ammo, the TUI ammo, tumble upon impact outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for you hunters out there alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as direct online through fortscottmunitions.com. And I know you're continuing to do more and more yeah. with those guys. Oh, we, we well, even... The new Battleline shirts, the Battleline tactical shirts, the Forge Ahead shirts, those are made by Fort Scott. So their apparel is, they have their own apparel, like you said, uh, and the hats are awesome. Um, and then we'll have a, a look like now I'm going to speak, but probably Fort Scott and I will do, we do one training event a year. So we're going to have one in June with Battleline and Fort Scott where Fort Scott hosts it out there. And it looks like June, I'm trying to firm up the schedule, but yeah, a lot of stuff as ammo, with them, we'll have a ton of line of ammo. Hopefully, here very soon. I'm probably next year when the ammo, when they have enough ammo, we're coming back to making them all. We can make new ammo and and do a new line. They just are so far behind with the and so is everybody. I mean, just everyone, yeah. So, um, uh, but yeah, many other things. And of course, they they fully support their huge support of 14th Hour Foundation, always providing money, always donating to the foundation. So, uh, you know, Fort Scott, great people there, Kraft family. You know, we got and we got Robbie down there and we got Preston down there. All those guys are amazing and they, they really take care of us. And also they do our targets. I uh, try proof battle line Fort Scott uh, targets. So, yeah, check them out on my website, com, And and you can see all the stuff that they do for us. And then, of course, just 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 their own ammo and check out their uh, Fort Scott's own website as well. And yep. you can see all the different gear. That is awesome, though. Yeah, yeah. FortScottMunitions.com. Fort use exclusive promo code BATTLELINE. Use that for 15% off your order. You use that every time, except on subscriptions, I found out. So one-time orders, 15% off your order when you use BATTLELINE. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of this guy, Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. Let's hit the music. Let's get into everything. All right.
from Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. <laughs> you are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on. Very excited to have L. Christian Bustler on this episode. A guy I've, you know, wanted on, and he's wanted to come on since we started. It's just very hard to fit everybody in, but he's got an incredible story to share, incredible book that he has written. And uh, before we get to him, I mean, what else is new? We have the uh, the final presidential debate last night. We have we the did. third game of the World Series tonight. Are we in the World Series? Are you serious? There's a World Series? Right? <laughs> I have no are you joking me right now? Or no, I'm not jerking your chain. I had no idea. Uh, the World Series has been weird because I've gotten so used to seeing no fans in the stands that I'm like, this is weird. There's fans in the stands. Who, who's who's in it? Seriously, I have no idea. Who's in it? Oh, the Dodgers and Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is in the World Series? <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's like You're truly me. living under a rock. I, that's like saying the Cleveland Browns are, are in the Super Bowl. It's a, that's a, that's the craziest thing in the world. Sorry for all you Browns fans, but you haven't been good since the, since the the dog pound back in the day. That's or even though even here. though I'm not a football guy, the Jets too. The Je- uh yeah, the Jets even ain't good anymore. Again, I don't. Uh, I haven't paid attention. I don't pay attention to any sports anymore. I just I can't. It's it. it when it goes back to just being sports and not movements and messages and all and just sports and. You know what though? I'm gonna I'm gonna call you out on I'm gonna call you out on that a little bit because hockey was very apolitical for the most part. You know, you're right. I should say that you're right. Hockey is always hockey, or track and field is another one that's awesome. I watch that. That's that's on. So I don't say I don't watch golf. Golf never talks about politics. Yeah, but I I can't watch. I I try. My I'm not at that age yet. I think I need to be sixty to start watching. I, I like watching golf, man. It's relaxing. It, it, no, it's I love playing it. And I, I grew up around golf. My dad's a golf pro. My brother's a golf pro. They work at the oh, country sure. club here. And, oh yeah, no, they're they're amazing golfers. We we started golfing when I was five. My dad cut off clubs, and you know because we didn't they didn't make little clubs at the time, so he cut off his clubs and taped it with electrical tape. And my brother and I started golfing at five years. I love golfing. It's just I went to, went to the army. My brother continued to golf <laughs> after college, and no, he's my brother's amazing. My dad, you know, he's getting up there in age, so. He's not as good as he used to be, but he was a scratch golfer, you know, for many, many years. And, you know, golfing's fun. I love golf, but I just, I suck. My family is good. I'm terrible at it. But I, I agree with you, dude. It, I just, it's hard for me to watch. I don't have a player to watch anymore. It used to be Jack Nicholas. I love, I wanted to see him win. I and still then, like I, Tiger Woods. I, I was for until, until his, you know, until he's got caught cheating on his wife and his wife got kicked his ass with his own set of golf clubs. I'm that made things that exciting, though. What happened. That is just scuttle, but I don't know for sure. That's right. <laughs> I think that's what happened. Yeah, I, I believe Actually, so. I, 
I know one of the guys that was on a security detail. Um, I won't give his name out, but what, was I, it a seal? Was it a seal? Because I know uh, Tiger's very like fond of the seals. He it was. He's actually a, he was actually a former Force Recon Marine. But, oh, okay. Uh, but that was yeah. And um, yeah. That's so. That's uh, yeah. Uh, it, 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 I'm not saying he'd said anything because, and I'm not going to say who he is because he's not. But yeah, he, he remembered he had to go pull. Basically, yeah, I remember saying pull his wife off, tired before he killed him because it was it was that bad. Dang. And uh, yeah, and then also a uh, uh, a guy in Vegas that knows a little bit of what went place and who the actual woman was. But again, this is all hearsay. It's all Scott. I'm just you can say Tony, you're full of shit. That's fine because I have nothing to verify it with, and I'm never going to give these guys true names out that told me these things. So you know, I know it's always a little bird. Who told you? Well, they did. Same thing here. You don't believe you me? Believe, it's it's believable though. I mean, he was living a total rock star life. Yeah, but uh. Yeah, I was just thinking when I said the Jets though earlier of that hilarious Artie Lang joke about the Jets. Oh, yeah. I, uh, Artie, I'm a big Artie Lang fan, and he had a joke oh, yeah. in his stand-up where he said, uh, "He's like when I." He said that his uncle said to him, "He's like when I was younger, I was into football and I was into the Jets, but then I got interested in girls. But now I'm interested in the Jets again because a girl won't always fuck you, but the Jets will the always Jets, fuck I remember, you." I remember that. Actually, I think I heard that driving on the road, listening to either uh, I listen to the comedy shows when I'm driving on Sirius, like Netflix is a joke or comedy greats and i i want to say Artie was on there and i was listening to it driving chicago i remember him saying that was hilarious because they do bits stand-up bits where they take the best yeah and, yep. and when you're driving i i fall asleep to music so i gotta have somebody talking and i i can't turn it on a, a news channel anymore because it's just hate 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 so i i just i have netflix as a joke and then um comedy central and then uh, a Kevin Hart show, Kevin Hart's channel, and then you, I just flip back and forth and listen to the like, like the the hottest or not the hottest, the uh, the best stand up little clips. And Artie Lang was on there. I remember hearing that. That was hilarious because he's he's so true. I, I unless the Jets are good now again, I I don't know. I I don't know. No, even... I think I think they're like forever terrible. And I'm not <laughs> even a football guy. With uh, yeah, <laughs> with uh, the MLB right now, it's it's all tied up. But like I said, it's it's actually interesting seeing some fans in the stands now. It gives me some hope that things are gonna open up at some point. I don't know what's going on. I mean, and then the thing is, as I said, the final presidential debate, and and I, the reason I say this is like a never ending election is because I mean, you guys know it. Listening the the. Uh, we're not even going to know who's the president on election night. We're not going to know the week of because they're, yeah. I mean, you, you probably, I think you know about this at least in, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, which is a swing state. You're going to get to vote three days after the election happened. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what could go wrong? Uh, I don't I, know. I, yeah, And who, who knows anymore with everything, all the shenanigans that take place and they do. I mean, to, insane. Just, it, that it, even if the, ever the election results are going to be accurate ever again, that's what's sad. Is like, are we ever going to have an actual election that's that is a hundred percent integrity, a hundred percent truthful? Are we? I don't know. I, I I would I would never. I would say never. Never. We never are again because of all the all the just crap that goes on with with elections and the sides and this and the people in positions that can manipulate outcomes and so forth and i'm not a conspiracy theorist because i'm not going to say one side is the one that does it and the other one doesn't no but <laughs> you know what I, I i will a little bit for some reason i'm getting a ton of echo on on today but i don't know why but um anyway uh what what i was gonna say is that on this i actually will say i think it's one side i mean the the 
On this particular issue, the Republicans are pushing for pretty much a regular election the way we've always had. Uh, the Democrats are pushing for, like I said, in Pennsylvania, they could vote three days after the election. It's going to lead to ballot harvesting. It's going to lead to election fraud. Yeah, Anybody who tells you different is, you know, and, and you guys know this. I have no dog in this fight. I'm not voting for either of these people. If I was, I would tell you I'm, I'm going to vote third party like I did last election. But yes, I do think on the left, they are pushing for, I mean, I think the last election, it, it went the way it went. Um, there was, as much as they'd like to say a Russia hack, there was no hack. There was different countries that bought Facebook ads and things <laughs> like that. There was no hack, though. But no. when you say that you could vote three days after an election, it's problematic, to say the least. Well, you, you know, you're just opening yourself up for fraud or on the other side, you're opening yourself up for a greater chance to win. And we're talking about golf. You're basically you're, you're adding a handicap onto the election is what you're doing. <laughs> you're, you're making it so you can come out on top. So, uh, yeah, and that's that's horseshit. It is that you. It is what it is. It, it, if you win, you win. and you lose, you lose. That's just how it goes. Stop trying to make it so you have a better chance of winning by manipulating tangible and ob objective numbers. You, you've turned the, the election into subjective numbers to to manipulation, and and that's horseshit. And, and and for people not to stand up and not vote for that side just because of the their willingness to manipulate and try to manipulate to win, that crushes me too. It's like, really people, that's what you, you want to, I would say you want to cheat to win uh, and that's what you're going to vote for. Well, it's going to bite us in the ass down the road and that's how it always, it, you know, it always works. So, um, uh, brother, I, again, I, 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 I don't know. I don't pay attention. I, I didn't even know there was a debate last night, but being in that past one where I was heavily involved with that last election, I can honestly say, yeah, it, it always, it, in the last shit, what is it? 2012. You're 2016. Right. It, it is 20, it, 2016. 2016. Well, when I mean, so when I started to pay it, really pay attention to it, I should say 2012, and that was after the the. I never really paid attention to it till after. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, yeah. You're no, you're right. Let me clarify. But um, no, I I I, I have I have to say it's it's been more of the left that has been trying to change the rules, so they have a better chance of winning because in a fair fight in a fair election they're not going to win. It's, it's they're not it's not gonna happen. i don't i don't I, wow we get a ton of echo right now brother do you, do you want is. me hey I, I can go you want me to go get mine and see if that helps maybe yeah i'm just i'm just hearing it's like <laughs> every time the i talk is going on and i yeah i got you gotta, nothing, brother, once, that, once you get the uh once you get the microphone that that i think tanya it's Daniel order, order, yeah, yeah. Chance, Daniel, so. we, we can talk but let me let me run downstairs i thought i had him up here and okay I'll, cool, I'll, cool i'll put him in okay all right let me see here maybe this will help Okay. Yeah, and I, I said my phone vibrations off. Um, I'm not scraping anything. I'm not touching anything. I'm setting the mic down. So, there you go. How about that? We're good. Yeah. No, you sound way better. You sound yeah, way let's, better. Yeah. Let's let's do right. that. Um, but sound, dude, you sound a million times better. Okay. Than good. Thing. good. Yeah. Let's well, stick well, with that until you get the new mic. No, what I was gonna say though, I I don't know if I would agree with you there because I do think this is gonna be an extremely close election. Um. You know, just looking at at what we have so far, I mean, we know polling last election was extremely inaccurate, but I, I do think it's going to be extremely close. But these changing of of the way we do elections with the mail-in ballots, ballot harvesting with uh, with voting days after the election has actually happened, that's what's going to sway things. Well, I, and that's but that's again, that's that's where the manipulation comes in, because uh, if if it was something that was that was so egregious that, yes, we had a landslide, but now 
you're we're now we're going to change the rules so it's close. I, I, you know, okay, I agree with you. But I don't see it being a landslide. No, no, I, I, I don't either. Play. I don't either. What I'm saying is, is that what it takes to manipulate? Is just those little things to win. Sure. Okay, let's manipulate this. Let's manipulate this so we can get, you know, the 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 one percent that we need to win. Because I agree with you. It's, I, and I think for the most part, most elections that are coming in the future are always going to be close from here on out because we are so divided, and the politicians have pushed us that way, and so is the media. But, um, but yeah, those are those little things. Those little. Like you said, those little manipulations, those little changes that can cause that one percent swing one way or the other, and, I, and that is my opinion. From what I've seen, it's normally been the left that's trying to do the changes, it's trying to trying to change the outcome, or trying to change the electoral college, or this or that, so we can win. Where it's like, dude, if you if you win, you win. If you don't, you don't. Try again. Put another candidate in there, and Democrats are going to win whether if they win this time or if they. When the next after the next four years, they, it's going to happen. It, it's not going to stay one unless we continue to let manipulation happen. It's not going to stay one party that's in power for forever. It just it doesn't work that way. There's always going to be a candidate that comes in on one side that you're eventually like, oh, you know what? This is this is the person right now, though, like yourself, you're voting for neither of them. So because we don't have a great candidate on either side, it's like it's like lesser of two evils again, which is yeah. not what we want to be. I, you know what? It's like normally I would I would 100% agree with you on that, that it's the pendulum is going to sway. But there's been so many things that have been changing, because also if you if we do end up having a path to legalization and then you legalize everybody who's here illegally and they all vote a certain way yeah, yeah, and then you change the Supreme Court, you stack the Supreme Court, which they're talking about. That's going to change everything. Um, I don't know. We could lead to, you know, the. The things that are going on kind of is how you lead to one party in power. The uh, you're, you're, you're it's right, it's yeah. a very strange time in the country. And I don't want to harp on it too much. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy time. Oh, by the way, last show did excellent. I think it's going to end up being our most listened to show. If Was it just me and you? Yeah, just us. Because we're, we're, we're freaking <laughs> awesome, dude. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think people dig the questions and and because I honestly when I listen to shows talk shows on the radio I do occasionally but sometimes you have good ones where it's just hey listeners to put your questions in and we can answer them it's just when you open it up and you have allow people to call in where you get the guy that rambles like me on the phone but and, you know, like, <laughs> I don't want to hear this shit anymore get your question okay I'm flipping the channel but that's great, man. We should, we'll do one of those. And the book things was a great idea. That was a fantastic. Thanks, idea. man. Yeah, yeah. I still have to send them out. I have them right next to me because I've been, I'm at my parents' house, like unpacking everything while I'm here. So I was like, all right, here are all these books. I'll be sending them out over the weekend. Uh, but yeah, no, it was a, and I'll be honest. It's also the clickbaity type title. People see Trump's name. They're like, what did they say about Trump? I have to listen. That's exactly what it is. I knew it was going to get listeners because of that. And, and, but then they listen and they're like, okay, this was really five minutes of a two hour podcast. Yeah. That's good. Uh, good. Yeah. So I will get to one question here before we get to Christian. Um, this was a good one for you from bear sent to battle line podcast at gmail.com. It occurs to me a few days ago when hanging with a Canadian military veteran buddy, we actually had a hard time. He actually had a hard time describing the or said we. So maybe both of them uh, describing the, quote, emotional atmosphere in the first seconds of contact. Right. If you could articulate how you would describe the mental and emotional atmosphere at that exact moment, respectfully there. I, I think ours was different. Um 
because it, we weren't shocked. Like it wasn't an ambush where you rolled into an ambush. And this is that night. There are differences where I have rolled into something and it just was, oh shit, you got you to gotta jump on it and get ready because you roll into an ambush. You roll into a, a surprise sniper fire that you're not planning on. 13 Hours or Benghazi was different because we were watching the attack for almost 30 minutes trying to get out the gate. So it wasn't a shock to the system that, we're going to get attacked. We knew that we were going into a bus. Uh, and, and honestly, I think that's worse because you sit there and you think about it where when it, it's just something that's caught you by surprise, like uh, rolling over a bridge or, or standing at a checkpoint trying to direct traffic and there's sniper fire that you didn't expect. You just react and it goes into, you know, it goes into, and I, I don't believe in muscle memory. I'm not going to say that or instincts or anything. It, you just go into whatever your highest level of training is and you start moving habitually. You start doing whatever, habit forming movements that you've been able to obtain over over your training over other other uh, other deployments other 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 uh, series of duress that you're under that your body goes into it's it's just going to a habit habit what you do and but you don't think you don't you're not it's it's not really thinking out there you're just reacting and eh, i'm being a little bit of hypocritical there because i always say you're always thinking but it's just very quick thoughts. What's the habit? What do I do? What do I do? What have I done in the past? What do I do to handle the stress? What do I do when there's cyber fire or an ambush? What, what, how do I react to it? And it's, 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 it's reacting, reacting, reacting where Benghazi it was. Okay. All right. What are we getting ourselves into? Man, that fire's getting heavier and heavier. Holy shit. Now it's getting heavier. Now it's going to get worse. And you start to be able to play mind games with yourself. And, and that's what you have to stop. But that's from the training. That's from being overseas for many years. That's for having a tremendous team that is also confident, that is the same mindset as yours. Like, okay, once we get there, we will do what we need to do based off what we're walking into. And it comes from years of training. And as far as your buddy knows, if you've been in the service for many years or been in special operations, that's what it falls down to. But, yeah, that's where Benghazi happened. It, it was more of just making sure you didn't let the stress and the adrenaline and the emotion of everything spinning around you overtake your senses and overtake your body before you even got there. And, and that's that was having you just you have to control your emotions where, again, being surprised attack or having something that just happens to you. You just go on on whatever habit that you've put your body through and your for your ability to handle the rest. It's that fight or flight that that adrenaline kicks in and you either run away or you go towards the attack and you take it on or you curl up into the fetal position and your body just shuts down because you get so overwhelmed with fear. So, um, yeah, I am going through both. That was, it was, you know, I can, I, I think I can speak with some legitimacy on, on, on both because I've been in both situations before. And, uh, I have to say the Benghazi situation was much harder because we did have the opportunity to think about what could happen or what's going to happen. And I'll be honest, when we rolled out the gate and I think Jack felt the same way, even he even mentioned it in 13 hours because we had a bunch of turtles that sat in our, our little pet turtles that sat in our little middle, with like a little middle grass area. And I remember him saying to, and when we did the book, I remember he, he said, his thoughts, he goes, yeah, I looked at the turtles and I was, I thought to myself, that's the last time we're going to see our pet turtles hmm. because we basically thought that we were, I mean, we, we let them entrench themselves. We knew they had so much more superior numbers. We knew we had no help that it's like, okay, well, we're basically going to our grave, but fuck it. Let's go. Switches on. <laughs> and, let's, and, um, and that's, that's something that you, you have to learn with. It's, it's, it, I don't think you just are born with that. It comes through 
working with guys before you that have gone through those experiences and you watch how they handle it. And then with age and experience. So I hope that answers your question. So Yeah, absolutely, man. So battlelinepodcast at gmail.com. I have to say, this sounds perfect today. Like your connection is good yeah. and this sounds great. It's, so we're, we're good. And then we're going to hear the difference when you listen back. We're going to get the microphone. That would be better. It's definitely the yeah. computer that was jacking things up. I, it, that's no, you're a, great. Yeah. You're great now. So, um, yeah, I want to make sure we get to El Christian bus. That's all yeah, the reason. Yeah, yeah. I'm cutting you off here. So before we get to Christian, as we always let you guys know, Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results every time you pull that trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in every state as well as direct online, go right now to fortscottmunitions.com. Use exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. If you're driving or anything as you're listening, you can just, when you get a chance, go to the description of this episode, and you'll see the link right there. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. With that, L. Christian Bustler, Author of No Tougher Duty, No Greater Honor, a memoir of a mortuary affairs, uh, a memoir of a mortuary affairs marine, veteran of Operation Enduring Freedom one, two, and four, wounded in combat. I'm I'm saying everything wrong today. Wounded in combat in Iraq, <laughs> and uh, you know what's the funny thing? I will say before we get into anything of of content, uh, Christian has been listening to the show and like supporting us since day one, and I feel like such an asshole because. Literally, since last year when we started the show, I was like, we're going to get you on, I promise. And then like another month goes by and I'm like, I'm going to get you on, promise we're going to make it happen. And I and you probably were like, this guy is blowing me off because it's probably the same thing I would tell someone who actually was blowing off and be like, yeah, we'll make it happen. But I actually did want to get you on since the beginning because I think your book is remarkable. So, Well, thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for uh, having me on here too. This is he was blowing you awesome. off. Don't, don't let him fucking fool you, dude. <laughs> He's blowing. He's like, ah, oh, that son of a bitch. Oh, fine, fine. Oh. We'll have him on. Let's get him on. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I was, no. I wasn't pushing him. I knew I was going to eventually be on at some point. Yeah. No. no and, and I mean, you've been on on some major podcasts. Like you've yeah. been on Jocko's podcast, which I'll let's be honest, far bigger than this podcast. So you've been doing big things. And the the cool thing I will say in regards to you putting out a book is you really did what what Chris and I talk about yeah. all the time on this podcast is that you had a story and you said, I'm not going to wait on anyone to publish this. I'm going to put it out because right. the, I'll be honest, there is like a certain stereotype of guys who get approached by a publisher to put out a book. It's someone like Chris, yeah. it's someone in special operations. But your story to me is just as important as any of those other stories. And you're a guy who works a regular job. You're a father. And you just said, I need to tell this story. And the book is doing great. Yeah, because the uh, all those those experiences were really eating me up. Uh, you know, cause my job is not the ordinary, um, kick down the doors, uh, or, you know, admin job or anything like that. Mine was dealing with, the, um, getting our fallen home, 
recovering them from the battle, uh, from the, uh, the scene of the incident and processing the remains and getting them home. So I've seen hundreds of guys yeah. that had processed. And so I internalized all of those cases that we had worked on. And I still, I still feel responsible for them today to preserve their honor. So, but, uh, Keeping that with me, I was it was eating me up, and I needed to put those experiences somewhere. And um, I ended up starting to write to help therapeutically get it out. And uh, I took advice of a, a of a uh, Vietnam War veteran. He said, "Write it, stuff, write the stuff down, then go over, say your goodbyes, and burn them." And that's what I ended up doing. My wife convinced me to go ahead and start publishing them. And after a while, I taught myself how to write, and then. I said, why not? Let's go ahead and publish it. Yeah, so it's that, done remarkably well. I, and you, you're, I'm glad you're saying that, brother, because that's what we try to tell veterans, and I try to say it as well. It's, it's therapeutic. You don't feel like the old stigma where you're, oh, hey, look at me, look what I did. I'm putting it in a book, which, you know, which, which we used to make fun of seals about all the time. I, I, <laughs> but again, it's not. That's not the case. It's, it's not. It's, it's. You've seen something, you and you have seen some shit. I, I don't get. You've seen more death than any of us door kickers have. You have complete and and man, I can't even imagine having to go every time to a scene and cl- it's like and clean up, clean it up. It really is yeah. what you're doing and, and seeing, seeing the you know seeing the things you saw, seeing. And I hope I'm not bringing up bad thoughts to oh, you. I'm you're sorry fine. if I am, but but you know even just you'll find it, and I'm sure you have going there and and seeing a seeing a flag from uh from a guy's uniform that's on the ground i mean just little things like that that would stick with personal me personal items personal yeah. items always stuck with me uh yeah. you know you get the you get the pictures especially yeah. with the families and the kids uh we have one guy who had an ultrasound in his helmet um uh, yeah wow. you know, you'll get uh, dog tags that we literally uh, had uh hammered out this blown up bradley that had melted on top of itself and underneath all the slag metal, we found it still welded on the bottom of you know the negative side of this big chunk of metal. And to me, it was something that was very special because now this dog tag meant something because here was something that that guy, that soldier wore around his, his heart, yeah. next to his heart every single day. He went to combat with it. Then now it's something that we were able to recover from that scene pass it along the chain of custody and it goes to that that person's family so for, so that they would hold it close to their hearts you know and and to me whenever we we worked with the the fallen um i always told my guys we work for the families uncle sam may pay us but when we're handling the remains of these fallen uh warriors that you know we have to do our very best because they're looking at us oh you're right you know, they're they're making sure they may not never know or ever think about our jobs, but we want to do that extra step to make sure that we did the absolute best to take care of our fallen, and they deserved it. Well, and that's that's part of the army values. Your your yeah. respect and honor, big time. You you exemplify honor more than anything, and even even guys that have won the Medal of Honor, what you did, and and just what you said, you told your guys. That is that is the the army value of of honor right there and, and duty shit and duty as well. So um right and I want you to say and I want your guys to know uh, and yourself that the stuff you did and we don't I don't want to talk negative about it I, I think it's remarkable and I think it's 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 necessary to have stories like that because but even though you've seen things that people would think is negative in my mind 
being through some negative things myself where people will think that it's negative. Like, man, you got to experience that. Uh, to me, I'm, 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 like, I'm in awe. I'm like, man, I, and honestly, I wish I, I wish I would have been there with you. Like, man, he got to see a dog. I, and it's not a bad, I'm not, I'm not trying to say things well, bad. You to were the family. Able to bring just, these guys wow. Home. Yeah. It's like, wow, you got to, you got to do all that. Who gets to see that? Who gets to experience that? That is a positive to me. I guess that's my way of thinking half you know, full, um, less than half empty. It's my, my job. It was different than most people because we had to wear so many different hats. Yeah. But we had to wear the, uh, you know, the tactical hat when we go out on scene. Most yep. of us were grunts going out there. And the whole idea was to do our own uh, perimeter security. Yeah, you had to do your own security. Yeah. And go in there and find the guys and be able to extract them and get them out. But we also had to do the stuff on the scene as the unit members were watching us recover their remains, their their buddies out of the scenes. And then we had to do the whole CSI thing, you know, yeah. going in and going like an archaeological dig and squaring off things and going in with, with dental picks and finding the tiniest pieces of human remains as possible. You know, looking for wedding rings and, yeah. and stuff like that, that stuff that means, I mean, it's priceless to a family member. Yeah. yeah. So to get that back to them. And like I said, I we were working for the families and, and Uncle Sam may have paid us, but... I wanted to make sure, and it, it's something that was honorable. That oh, you definitely know, wanted honorable. to walk away from knowing we did everything humanly possible to get this, you know, soldier, sailor, airman, marine home. And and you brought closure, whether you think right. you did or not. I mean, right. the, the, you know, the 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 thankless part of it is is you probably will never see the closure that you. you but that's not why you do it. I don't need right. to see the. I, I we, you did it because that that's what you did that was the honorable thing to do and, and bringing closure to the families i know you i know you did on all mm -hmm. of them and that's amazing bro i i i'm just i i i, I want people to read your book because they need to hear those things and and it yeah. is a different take on on it's war. totally different story oh, than yeah, yeah. The, like the normal military yeah uh story is about most people think it's all about you know the the jet fighters and you know it's all guns and glory and guts and all yeah and it's, it's not, it's it's not. It's, it's not. not and all. plus, my book, um, I I express a lot of things that most books don't. I, I want to express the emotional side of it, what it's like to actually lose a buddy over there, what it's like for all the thoughts that was going through my head. Because initially, I wasn't trying to write to publish. I was just right trying to get it out and and help maybe preserve it for my kids and my grandkids and you know let that pass down down the chain here. And the wife said, hey, it's good enough to get published. And I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, hey, the wives are the bosses of the family. And yeah, my wife's absolutely. the boss, too. Yeah, so, but, no, know, and another thing that, that I hope that somebody else picks up, that, that people come home and they deal with what the, the PTSD that I had to deal with, is that me getting it on paper helped my – uh, my situation at home because we were fighting. My wife yeah. never understood what I went through. There was no frame of reference for her. So she was able now to pick up a story that I had wrote. And then she understood why Thanksgiving sucks for me. Cause it was yeah. days after that is a buddy of mine had got killed. Yeah. We had a process as a remains or certain situations where, you know, when I got blown up um, where, you know, I ended up internalizing all that. And so if a neighbor blows up a fireworks down, <laughs> down the street and I'm unaware it goes off, you know, I hit the ground. 
and it's a it's just going back to survival mode. Uh, there's no there's no long way around a survival mode. It's a direct connect from A to B. And so once that initial sound, that thump in your chest goes off, I feel like I need to get down. So, you know, it's, it's, you know what? I, I just want to jump in here. It's interesting you say that because Chris and I, I think around maybe July 4th, we were talking and honestly, a little jokingly about the idea of veterans who are worried about fireworks going off. And, and honestly, every veteran I've talked to is like, ah, that doesn't really happen. So for you, that is oh, that yeah. that's actually a that's thing. It, and that's that is that why because it doesn't bother me at all. I, and I've and honestly, I been around a lot of explosions over the mm-hmm. years, and it doesn't bother me at all. And, and the reason it's bothering you is it because you internalize it so much? And and you know, I, and there there is different training that comes through going through special operations and going through regular army and I'm not knocking. It's just, we got more money. We can do, we can blow each other up on a daily, <laughs> on a daily basis to get used to it. You can throw flashbangs down the hallway and get away with it. And, and there was a reason to the madness. That's why it gets, I, I'm, I honestly, I feel it and it's, it doesn't bother me. Um, but is it because you internalize? And again, if that's the case, is it you, mm-hmm. for so long that you just kept it inside? And this is great because it tells guys, don't keep it inside. Get that right. shit out because it's exactly. going to have detrimental effects down the line with yourself, with like you're, which is what you're saying right now. And that is detrimental. That's you know, that is something that's a negative. You don't want to live like you that know, where a car backfires and you have to and you exactly. hit the deck. I've had that. Um, I've had that happen. I, I I was a marine reservist, so uh, when I, in my civilian job, I was a mailman, and I've had cars backfire. <laughs> And I end up hitting the deck. All my mail goes everywhere. Oh, like, people looking at me like I got shot or something. <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's um, it's what it is. Where you have to be able to accept it and 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 to be able to move on. Um, I've now got to a point where I can now watch it. If I'm I'm like at a fireworks show, I can if I watch it and then I'm okay. But it's the times where I'm caught unaware. And, and that's when, okay, that, that just got me or, um, being at a grocery store and somebody opens up the milk, uh, thing and lets the door slam. And I, and you throw, and you turn around, you throw, you throw, uh, punch him. Oh, uh, shit, sorry. Sorry. It's just here's, a, here's another one. Um, I was at Kroger and I seen a guy run out of, of the, uh, the meat freezer with a ski mask on. And a black jumpsuit. And I reached down to try to grab my M9 and it wasn't there. I'm in Kroger, right? I, I try to, because I'm thinking, I'm, you know, I'm pointing that guy. I'm thinking, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. So I grabbed an onion and I was sitting there waiting to throw, but I was like, but I'm in Kroger. I'm going to throw this onion at him, but I'm in Kroger. So <laughs> actually, I, I'm, by the way, I really appreciate you, you telling this because a lot of guys, if they had these stories, they'd be like, this is too embarrassing. No, no, and I think the fact that you put out this book, you're able to be like, you know what? I'm going to tell my story. Well, I'm okay know, with expressing. And, and I, a guy I, like myself, well, I want to hear because I I, re- <laughs> I I relate to that. Like, holy shit, that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and and I love to hear because I because I, I I get that. I get the feel of, of just doing something that you're again. You're you're. We just talked about habitual movements and yeah. and, and your your highest level of training, and that's what you did. You did something, and it's like if I was your instructor or your sergeant, I'm like, well, shit, at least you did something there, true. <laughs> I mean, then we then we laugh about it, but that's why I get it because it, it it does remind me of it does remind me of of things like being yeah. back in the service, and it's just exactly. the jackassery that you you have to laugh at, even though 
to most people like, man, that's just, that's terrible. That's, no, it's not. It's, that's fucking hilarious, man. That's awesome. <laughs> well, and you figured, did something. I figured that more than I put myself out there, they might be able to identify with other folks that are having problems and, and stuff. And I had, can see, I can look back upon my life and see where I've been getting better and better and better and better. And um, I am from, you know, when I came home, I was at the bottom of the barrel, you know, alcoholic, you know, yeah. drinking and, and, and not looking past, you know, tomorrow and be feeling like I was a prisoner in my own home. To now being, you know, I wrote the book. It was able to open a lot of doors up to me mentally, physically. Now I'm in, uh, I just finished uh, lineman school. I'm in hopefully getting hired with Duke Energy. You know, my my life is totally flipped. And what is, what happened is the main thing was, is my candor. Able to, able to talk about it. If you don't talk about it, you never let it go. You never let it release it. At least try to make your life easier by letting the people who love you and, 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 and surround you understand a little bit about what you went through and not just say, you'll never understand it. So, um, I, I, I agree. I know. I agree. I, you, you have to bring them in and, and it allows you to heal. But I, I think a lot of guys stop doing that because they'll start to put it out and they think they're going to heal right away. No, it's like, guys, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It, it may be a month. It may be 10 years, but if you don't do it, you're not going to heal at all. It's like shaking up that pop bottle and you never open it. Right. You're, it's building, it's building, it's building. Eventually it's going to explode or you can unscrew the cap and let it, let the, all the carbonation out just a little bit at a time. And eventually right. you're going to get back to normal. And, and then, and, and that's essentially from what I'm hearing is what you did. And that's what I did. And, but we, we both, and I know you have too, and we, we can talk about that. We all have setbacks too. We're going through it like, Oh man, everything's going great. Oh shit. I just fell back a few yards. I got to work that way back up. So, um, I don't know, maybe get into something like that where we're in the past that, that, yeah, you were doing well and, but you had that little setback and then how you overcame it. So it's, it's the old one step forward, two steps back. Would you, can you give us an example that maybe over the past few years, since you've written the book, if there's not, that's even better. But I know I have, I, I have, I've done some stupid things, but I recovered from them because it was a mistake. No, um, I stopped taking my meds at one point and yeah, I just felt like I was so, um, I felt like a loser because I couldn't function without my meds, you know, uh, a sleep med, yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, and I didn't want to live my life being so attached to something. So I decided to stop taking my meds. Well, we went to a kid rock concert, bad idea. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So all the anxiety of being all enclosed, all enclosed, yeah, and, yeah, and stuff. So I only thing I knew how to do was start pounding beers and stuff. The next thing you know, I'm I'm not doing well. Oh yeah, stuff, and I'm I'm pissed off. Um, I ended up. Uh, my wife grabbed the kids when she got we got home. She took off, thinking that I might lose my mind. Yeah, I ended up telling everybody that I didn't deserve to live. And so they ended up calling the cops on me. I had four cops in my living room. Oh, no, you, you but, go to that dark place. No, I, yeah, I got exactly. You. I, it's, I, I, I know. There's no graduation. He goes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. But, you know, that's, that, I'm glad because I know there's guys out there and even myself. I've been I've been in the I've done the best crying game imitation in the shower 
all huddled up in the corner yeah. feeling like a piece of shit because I, I felt like I couldn't over all the shit I've overcome and I can't overcome a mistake I made in yeah. my life or I just don't want to live anymore. So I, I get it saying stuff like that, bro. I tell you, it helps. And obviously you came out of it, but that's, that's how we always learn. And that's how us knuckleheads and our knuckle draggers have to learn. We have to do something stupid or something that's a mistake and learn. Okay. Right. That was a freaking mistake. What do I need to do to overcome it? But that's what makes you who you are is, is you figured it out. You know, I try to lead by example. And, and yeah. my example is trying to get as much of my journey to the finding peace, to find the understanding, um, get that out there as much as possible. Hopefully somebody else will pick up on it and it can then make their lives better. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you guys are both very indicative of that, that you could really turn things around. I mean, I've been referencing it. I think the past couple shows, just because it's been on my mind, I've been, I just completed Jim West's audiobook, green beret. And I mean, at the very end of the book, which I just finished reading yesterday, is where he talks about his oldest son getting shot in the back of the head. And the reason that, I mean, more than anything, why this really weighed on Jim is Jim is like, I devoted my entire life to self-defense. One thing I always said to my son is never, you know, never let your, your guard down from behind. And sure enough, that's how he dies. And it weighed on Jim for years. Mm -hmm. Now, the fact that like we have Jim on the podcast and he's the, he always has a smile He's always in a great mood. Like it's so it's just such exemplary to me that you could turn anything around. You just got to stick it through. Yep. And for you, it was it was writing this book and putting that those thoughts to, to paper and saying, this is what I went through. And and it's going to help other people out. Yeah, I definitely hope so. And, and most of the guys we've had on, brother, and he, you know, whether it, it, uh, uh, the, the veterans that are authors, a lot of them have done that where they, they put the pen to paper and, and that's how they've overcome whether it's, whether it's like Luke, Luke, a little Opie coming, Opie Cunningham writing poetry or, or, you know, like yourself writing a full book or, or me even writing a couple. You know, I, and, and it, it did help. It, it immensely helped You just, I want to tell guys, if you're going to do that, you're a veteran, get over yourself. First of all, get over yourself. Right. It's okay to put it on paper. There's nothing wrong with it. If there's always going to be somebody, Oh, look at what he's writing. Well, so what, if it helps you, it doesn't matter. And it's going to help somebody else. Um, I, and obviously you're, you are, uh, my question on this, and this is why I never, I never knew I, as to the job. How did you figure out that job, or did you go with that mo, or was it eleven oh. bang bang? Was it eleven Bravo mos that you I went was, in? I was an O three eleven. I was an O three eleven. Oh, or you? So I ended up um, uh, being a Marine reservist. Um, I know. Hold on a second. O three eleven is for all you Army guys out there. That's eleven Bravo. So just so we all we're infantry. Got it. Okay. I just yeah, want to make I, sure that we we got figured out. I was a uh, Marine reservist. Uh, I, my dad was the Air Force, so I grew up all over the world. You know, Japan, been to Thailand, Philippines when I was a kid, and stuff all over the states. And so um, I didn't want to travel, but I wanted to serve because I, I I've spent my entire life never knowing what exactly a home was. So um, I went to high school and then I joined the reserves. And then um, the closest unit to my home was a military police company, uh, Charlie, up in Dayton, Ohio. And um, they were like, okay, we can accept 0311s or grunts over here in, in our unit because we have an experimental group called Greg's Registration. And since you're close to your, your house and, you know, we'll accept you. And I thought, eh, well... Why not? Because uh, my car sucks 
and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> it's close. Yeah. And we'll and this is right after the Gulf War. So okay. um, this is 1993 that I reported into that unit. And I thought you look super young, bro. I know. I never I'm, I'm 1993. <laughs> yeah, you, you're wow. that, that oil of Olay has worked that's, well yeah, for my you. Mom's, uh, my mom's from Thailand, so I get that. I got the Asian you get blood, the... you know. That's true. I still get carded. So. <laughs> but yeah, I reported in, and um, and uh, they were like, "Do you know what we do?" I'm like, "No. What exactly do we? Do? What do you do?" It's like, "Well, in war, you go find dead guys and you bring them home." And I was like, I really didn't want to do that. I wanted to be a grunt. I want to go yeah. shoot guns, blow things up, and you know, go on 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 patrols and stuff. But uh, the longer I stayed in the unit, the, the more friends I made, and uh, um, I liked the idea of what the lieutenant colonel had had thought of more, uh, Graves' registration was back then was. Uh, grunts being able to provide your own security, yeah. going on a patrols, recovery, and the whole idea was like, um, like down birds, that kind of stuff. And then when Somalia happened, and I saw what had happened there, um, where they were bringing guys to the street, dragging guys to the streets, and yeah. stuff, and I was like, you know, at least I here I am in a position where we would be help, helping to go get those guys out. We can so do you, you be part of a CSAR, you be part of combat search and rescue teams. Oh, uh, we won't be a a rescue, we'll be recovery. Recovery, okay, right. gotcha. So, gotcha. I was thinking I could help do something with that with having the uh, the, the grunt side and the mortuary fair side. So, we ended up going through, and eventually, I stayed there for so long. Um, 9 11 happened, and then I knew I was going into combat at some point because we were the only mortuary affairs unit in the entire Marine Corps. Um, okay. active duty reserves or whatever. And at the time there was like 33 of us, 33, 35 of us in the entire Marine Corps has ever been to the school. So, which is an army school at Fort Lee, Virginia. And so nine, uh, 11 happened. We never got to go to, uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. And then we started hearing rumblings up in 2002 that we might be heading to, um, Iraq. Uh, so we prepared for it, you know, how to teach the job. Uh, cause like I said, there's only 33 of us that yeah. did it at the time. So we, uh, they were like, all right, go train two other companies, one in Marietta, Georgia, and one in, in, uh, Anacostial Navy Yards in, in Washington, DC. So we were able to beef up the knowledge base from 33 to over 300, uh, before we pumped out, but I didn't choose it. I didn't choose it. No, it was like weighing you know rolling the dice and are we going to ever go to war because i really don't want to do this in war and then by the time we were actually heading to a conflict i was one of the most senior guys who you knew how to do the job in in the marine corps so i i was like why not but i didn't really know exactly what war was like um and what we would see and i was thinking it would be like the gulf war where it was over really fast, uh, light casualties, and and um, that's how it was during the invasion. I thought, yeah. hey, this was actually pretty cool. We get to go over here, do a job, um, and get these guys home. Um, but to me, it was it, we didn't start taking any casualties. So to me, the my, the first push into Iraq was kind of like this is a really cool job. And 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 re- I'm I'm sitting here in my vehicle watching history play out before me. Oh, you are, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I, I remember seeing the very first impacts of the the air campaign when I was right there on the on the border. 
uh, dug in on holes and the very first uh, uh, artillery rounds being shot out at Safwan Hill as we were crossing through the breach. That's uh, cool. And I, and I, that, I think that is cool. I don't care what people that that's that's history. That's making right. history. So, right uh, but or, I, I for being part of it. I didn't choose the job. <laughs> uh, did, now, do they have an? Is there an MOS or yeah. a, a job a job indicator in the Navy or the Marine Corps? Um, is it Navy and then it's a, or a Marine yeah, Corps? Yeah, back you, uh, when I first joined that. up, it was called uh, ninety fifty one. Was okay. was the MOS uh, designator, and it was called Graves <laughs> Registration. And that great, goes, great yeah, that's, that okay. goes back to the old school, like World War Two. Yeah, War. World War Two. Yep. And well, that idea is to is that we were supposed to, like in World War Two, be able to plot graves, build cemeteries, and oh, okay. and inter people there. Because like, if you go to ever go to Normandy, yeah, you got yep. the big the cemetery there, mm-hmm. and um, over at like Flanders Fields, you know, all the stuff there. In Belgium, well, that's what my job was supposed to do, and later on to be okay. able to extract those remains and bring them home after so many years and stuff. So um, during the '90s and the Clinton years, they ended up changing the job from uh, mortuary from graves registration to mortuary affairs because they were downsizing, and they wanted to keep the whole MOS intact. And sexier, streamline it, you know. So they made the thing mortuary affairs. So um, it moved on to uh, to that until we did our first two deployments. And on my third deployment, they moved it over to PRP, which is personnel retrieval and processing. Okay. So and what it is is that we were the guys to be able to go out on the scene, recover, um, and re uh, and to evacuate the remains that came to us and be able to evacuate the personal effects that he had on him at, you know, at the time of that the time, but we didn't want to be the big logistics group with having all of his stuff. We wanted that to be left up to the, uh, the actual units to be able to send it to their own chain. Sure. Cause we didn't, sure. we you know the Marine Corps were small. There's only a few, yeah. uh, you know, two units of us left and we didn't want to take all, you know, did a huge, that's just manpower we could be using towards recovering guys and getting them home. Well, and, and you know, you want to give it to the unit because they knew that they knew their own. Right. And that's going to mean more to the family to have the unit present if they if they're able to, if it doesn't get into the higher change where they start making the political decision of who's going to shake their family's hands or hand them the flag or so. But the unit needs that. The unit needs that closure because the unit is a family. Yep. And they definitely have to, yeah. So I, I agree with that. You're giving it to the unit and saying, okay, guys, we did everything we can. Now, here, you guys take it from here. Here's the handoff. And no, that, that's, that's, I, that's smart. Yeah. Um, completely. Now, talk about, if you can, um, we talked about the service, how to go in and what you've done. You know, we, we, we get a lot of listeners. And because my wife is very supportive of me, she's been on the show before. Can you talk about maybe if there's guys out there that are going through issues with families because mm-hmm. their families don't understand? We touched on it a little bit already. Maybe go into how did you how did that with your wife when she started to realize what you had gone through? What transpired after that? And how did you continue to stay on that positive road? Also, and you have and again. I forgive me if I can't remember if you have kids. or Yes, not. I have uh, have a twenty year old. Yeah. And uh, 20-year-old daughter is going to uh, school, and then I have a, a nine-year-old daughter. 
well, you know, how, how the family life adjusted or how you adjusted with the, and how you brought them up to speed and, and, and how you continue to live. Cause I know, I know you live a happy life uh, right now. How does that continue? What, what do guys need to do? I just, can you give them a playbook? I really hey, don't guys, think that there's like a magic answer, you know, a, a silver bullet that helps everybody out. Cause everybody has different dynamics. Sure. Um, you know, some of their wives work, some of their wives don't, you know, and, uh, the relationships are built upon different things. Um, I'm lucky where I have my wife who who came from a solid family structure and and their thing was never to give up on the family. And I've I've seen a lot of people who who as soon as they have their a little fight, they're like, you know, hell with you, I'm leaving and stuff. And and so um it's work, man. Right, it's it work. Is. It, it, it's work. It is. It's a lot of work. And my wife was very, you know, I don't deserve her because she, she has been through hell with me. And, you know, I thought that the worst part of, of, of the most difficult part about the, uh, our, you know, experience, our relationship is when I was deployed. She was always left in the dark, never knowing exactly where I was. I couldn't tell her anything. Um, and she says, no, the hardest part was when you came home and dealing with all of the, all the leftovers and not knowing where to help, how to help and who can help Mm -hmm. her. And, um, I was really lucky with having a, getting a, uh, therapist that I trusted. He served over there in Iraq as well. He traveled some of the same roads and uh, finally I I had somebody I could talk about, um, you know, tell about, Hey, you know, IED got me on this day. And I didn't have to explain what an IED was, you know, you know, or talk to somebody who is supposed to be an hour and a half session. And after 40 minutes, they said they were done, you know, uh, cause they couldn't wow. handle it. You know what I was talking about. Um, wow. so, but what, what really helped me was that not only did that therapist was able to open, he had his open door policy 24 hours a day, seven days a week with me. He also had it with her as well. So she can call anytime. Um, Also that there's a lot of times where I was struggling like uh, anniversary dates or um, like things would be in my mind where I'd see roadkill in the road. And next thing you know, my mind's, doing this thing and all of a sudden I'm hitting rock bottom. And so my wife was able to come into uh, my therapy sessions with me. And so she would get a frame of reference. And so it wasn't where it was my battle and she was looking from the outside. It was our battle and that she was vested in me and in our relationship. And I was totally honest and open with her and I didn't want to have it where, you know, that I wanted to let her understand as much as she could possibly understand. And that's where the writing came in. And then she was able to understand that because reading and putting herself in those situations, because the way that I write is the, as, as if I'm living it again, you know, um, using the five senses, you know, what it smelt like, what it tasted like, you know, you know, getting that, that sweat in your eyes and all the bugs calling in your ears and stuff. And, and still looking for that bad guy that, you know, is watching you. And so 
you know, I, I wrote that out there. And so she was able to read and understand that, hey, you know, this stuff is, is you know, reason why he's having problems. So she became um, somebody who became more, I hate to say the word chaperone. Well, you well, know, but aren't our wives? Yeah. Our wives are chaperones. Come on, don't, don't she's my but, chaperone too. Yeah, we I go like, out into public, and so if somebody is kind of irking me, she can yeah. create that distance. Yeah, yeah, no, you yeah, know, I, yeah, uh, or right, yeah. she even notices things that I do before I even notice that I'm doing it. And she was like, "Okay, well, let's go ahead and back up away from here." You know, um, so she's and and so she calls herself my service dog. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's true. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's true. It's but good. my wife does that. Too. I, I agree. I went, when somebody comes up and talks to me when we're traveling, and yeah, she will. She'll start to move in because it's hard for me to not want to. If somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, are you? Hey, what happened here? What do you think about this?" and I'll start talking and and eventually I may go down a rabbit hole and she'll see it and she'll step yeah, in yeah. and say, Oh yeah, we, we got to start moving. And, we, and she does it eloquently a lot better than I could ever do it. And no, that's exactly, that's the, you, you got a good woman there. Exactly. And, and she, she takes care of you. And that, that I, I always say that as well to, to guys, if you're having issues, look at home. I ask, are you married? Yeah. Are you married? Okay. Look at home first. You got to get that established and you have to listen to your wife. You have to treat her well because she's the one that's going to get you through the hard stuff. If you don't have a good relationship at home, chances are that's 90% of where the pain and turmoil and all those dark holes you're going down is stemming from is because you don't have a good relationship at home and you have to get that. So I, and I, I, I completely agree with you, brother. And, and my wife's the same way. Exactly. The same now way. with so, my, my well older daughter, you know, um, I feel sorry for her for having to live through some of the stuff that, that, you know, for, with my recovery and seeing, um, me drinking so much and, and just bawling my eyes out and, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, she, she knows about creating that distance as well. Um, she accepts it for, you know, what it is. She may not totally understand it. She may not want to totally understand it, but I think she's, you know, my experience has really turned her off about ever joining the military. (laughs) (laughs) I would say, I would say so. Did you have to, me and my 15 year old, he's 16 now. Actually, I was gone for pretty much till he was eight. And, you know, I, I came home for two weeks when he was born. Then I was gone again for another nine months and I came back for a month and I was gone for another six. So even it, 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 now that I've been home more over the last two years, um, I actually have had to learn, we've had to learn to, to be father and son. Yeah. I hate to say, but we are the five-year-old. I have a five-year-old and no, that's part I'm actually living like a father should to his five-year-old. Has your have you come around with your daughter? Did you or and did you have to go through things like I did, where you had to learn really how to be a father and a daughter? I was. I, we really did. Yeah. We did at first, you know, because um, my first deployment, uh, my daughter was two, and then yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I came back home, and then as soon as I came back home, um, I volunteered to go back over, and that's when I was with uh, uh, an infantry unit, and that's when I got blown up. So. Uh, spent some time in the hospital and I came back home in, um, 04, went, volunteered in 05. And when I came back in 06, um, my daughter, I remembered, um, I was reaching out to the, the holder and she didn't want to hold me to hold her and she just wanted mommy. 
And I realized that she didn't know who daddy was, that daddy was a picture on the mantle and not a real living, breathing person. And so we spent that whole summer afterwards trying to reconnect. And, and um, that's one reason why with my younger daughter, I try to really overdo things, you know, try to be there for her (laughs) as much as possible. You know, my thing also with, with my recovery is um, I didn't want my, my troubles, my sins, my things that I've had to deal with to be a factor in why their lives were jacked up. No, I didn't want to say that, you know, them to grow up and say, my, my father had this, he had PTSD. That's the reason why I have to do drugs or be in bad relationships or, you know, uh, you know, make an excuse for their lives. I want to give them all the tools and, and, and all the understanding and love that they can be able to, uh, live long, full, productive lives without me, without my stuff being an influence on yeah. their, you know, successes or failures. Yeah. And that really mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. Um, you know what I wanted to ask you about? It's, it, you know, forgive me on this one, because I think it's been a couple of years yeah. since I actually spoke to you. So it's a little <laughs> bit blurry. If I re- if I remember correctly, were you involved with the um, flag yeah. folding and all that for the guys that Chris served with in Benghazi? Yeah, I, we actually, we, I, I knew we just, I guess I just didn't. Yeah. Tell me. Um, Tell me what, and, and what, and what did you say, and whether it's politically overtone or not, we don't, you know, we don't really get into politics on this, but the truth's the truth. So if you saw something that, and we'll talk about on the show right now, if you saw something that I need to know, and I, I know because, because I know a lot of shitty shit was going on, on this, on, in the United States and in Germany, when we flew to Germany as well. So I would love to know. I'm always putting pieces together of what actually took place, why we were actually left, what was going on here. And, and it's just from like persons like yourself that actually went through it. Not the media, not somebody heard something from somebody that talked to their dog that told them something from some <laughs> other dog. It was like, Hey, this is where I was. This is what happened. So yeah, please yeah. tell me. Cause I, I'd like, yeah, to, I, 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 cause I don't, yeah, know I don't know anything about, you know, um, Libya or anything like that. Um, I don't know um, exactly how they they got um, your your brother's home on that. But um, back in 2005, on my third deployment, we were we are starting to do a um, Riptoa. We're replacing the other people who was yeah. doing the job, yep. and so you do left seat, right seat. Um, first week we watch them. Second week. We they watch us do the job, yep. and and so you have a seamless transition there. So uh, the very first day we get there, and there was a um, uh, army major had gotten killed that morning, and um, I noticed that when they went to flag his transfer case, his transfer case is the mobile air coffin. The, the yeah, ship him yep. home. So what they did, and it's no fault to the the team that we were replacing, it's just the way it's always been done. So they ended up taking this uh, American flag straight out of the cardboard box. It was just, you know, like a little box. like, Yeah. And they just put it out on top of the transfer case and tied a white cord around it. So you could see the you seams see and the everything. Seams. You could see the fold. And wow. You could the folds. You could see and, the little, uh, wow. um, little strings. Yeah, the creases. The creases, the strings from it yep. being in the box, yep. you know, that they didn't dust off. 
and the white cord. And I thought that was totally jacked up because, you know, I grew up in the military. Um, my dad served three tours. I'm sorry about that thing going off, dinging, because it's always. Oh, no, we. Not, we, oh, we really, my, my little. It, it yeah, me. I can't hear. I can't you're figure good. out how to you turn it off. <laughs> Yeah. But, um, yeah, my, you know, my dad served three tours in Vietnam. He talked about, you know, uh, some of the guys that he knew, uh, who, who, uh, who, uh, died over there. So that was always cognizant on my mind. Um, and so being in mortuary affairs, I, um, uh, all through the nineties, I did a lot of, of, uh, funeral details and going all the way up to this point in 2004, when I was with third battalion, fourth Marines, a lot of the guys after I got blown up went into Fallujah for for vigilant resolve for the first push into Fallujah, and yep. a lot of guys yep. that I had met had gotten killed uh, uh, during that in during that uh, that battle, and so after I had my surgeries, convalescent leave, I went back, and so we ended up sitting around with other guys who got wounded, and we were talking about how how they got hit and 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 stuff. So I kind of internalized all that stuff. And fast forward to 2005, I'm replacing these guys. And I saw how they were putting the flag on the transfer cases. And I thought that was totally messed up. That yeah. these guys go over to do um, what America asked them to do. And they're being sent home in a fashion that was undeserving of, that I thought, uh, of, of, of somebody who sacrificed their lives for in the name of freedom. Right. For, for all yep. of us. Um, and and so I know it wasn't the fault of anybody. It's just the way it's always been done. So um, me overthinking things, you know, I went down and I, I went down to the PX and they had one can of starch, one iron, one ironing <laughs> board. And the stuff was in there for so long. They had like a thick film of dust, like greasy dust on it. And so, yeah, I take it. I wipe it all off, take it up and buy it. And I'd go back the next day. There'd be two cans of starch. So I buy those, then four, then, you know, it would just double and double and double up. So um, one day uh, I'm down there with one of my gunnery sergeants and um, there's a fly on the freaking camera. (laughs) but he's uh uh, i was like hey gunny can you come with me and and i need some help carrying some boxes he goes absolutely he goes down there and the lady asked me he goes uh she's like so what are you doing with all these cans of starch you know you're not supposed to be using starch over here in combat and uh, nobody's trying to look good for the enemy you know so uh, i was like man we're i'm ironing and starching every american flag that we get before we put them on the transfer cases so um, I, I started that up, and before that, um, nobody was ever ironing and starching flags. Um, we came up with a fold that and we would tie the white cord around first with two slip knots, two fishing knots. And so um, then we tuck it underneath on the sides and on the ends. We tuck it in, and we pull it, and make sure there's no, no – uh, strings that are hanging off anywhere make sure there's not a speck of dust on there and we ironed it so much that it looked like it gleamed in the light so um years go by um we did all of our remains that way um even when we were in combat we would have the uh the the c-130 flying around picking up all the remains 
and he yeah. would get to our base and the, the captain of the, the bird was like, don't take this the wrong way. But we like picking up uh, remains that you guys do because you could see you go through that extra step that, that nobody else is doing. Um, yeah. So fast right. forward to 2009, I get a phone call from one of my buddies and he was like, hey, uh, Brigadier General so-and-so was over in, in uh, Ramstein and uh, he was yeah. back here for a, a ramp ceremony, him and his entourage. He goes, the first one that came off was done the old style. The second one that comes off is done the, uh, the old style. He goes, the third one comes off and it's done your style. And he goes, damn it, I know Marines did that. So uh, he goes, he calls up my chief warrant officer and she goes, yes, sir, that's the, that's the bustler method. You know, he did that back in 2005. We, we adopted it. The Marine Corps does it for everybody that we handle. And, um, and he goes, from now on until the end of the Marine Corps, when the, when the country no longer needs a Marine Corps, um, everyone that we do will come home in this fashion. So, um, it was adopted and it, the day that, um, your, uh, your brother came home yeah. has done that style. Um, so did, did you, did you, did you go to Germany and do no, it there? I didn't, we, we, I didn't go to Germany. okay. So, so you got it taken care of when they got back to, um, Do- was it Dover? I, and again, I, we were still, we were still stuck. So, in, um, in those guys, um, I, I don't know how, where, where your guys had went to, they might've went straight up to Germany. And I, I know that some Marines that were going back and forth from, from the other units were working over there for, so and, they so did. I don't know if they, they, they now, did we, it. I can't tell. I, I th- I'm pretty. We, now we escorted them because I remember escorting them from Tripoli to because we loaded the coffins on and, and we loaded the flat the 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 the, the, the transfer cases. I I still call them coffins. Yeah. Um and the uh and the flags on them. I remember because we sat. I sat by you know I sat right next to them the whole flight. But then when we got to Germany, it was turned over to the mortuary affairs. Mortuary affairs. Yeah. yeah, and that's where I just I after that and after that too. Since we were agency personnel and we were the only agency personnel that they had on the plane there, they kept everybody else and Tripoli so they could fly Petraeus over and yeah. they could feed him a bunch of bullshit without the guys that were actually fighting that night there. But we kind of got General Ham came on the plane, came on our bus and we got off the plane and said, okay, guys, you guys are over here. And all the State Department people went that way. So after that, I mean, we just kind of went into hiding and I didn't see anything else for a week because we weren't part of state department so i but I, yeah that's why i i know that i know they were handled with respect because i saw some of the pictures and they looked fine it looked good i just i, I always like to hear other portions right. of the stories of because i i, I want to know what happened from the guys on the ground and even those little stories there give me an idea of how it was treated and how the story was being treated and how the families were treated because i still am friends with with cheryl with ty's mom i'm still in friends with Sean Smith's mom, Pat. In fact, I just talked to Cheryl. I uh, got an email from her last week and I want, they don't know. They have no idea how they're really, how their sons were treated except from what we tell right. them what we know. So, so getting information from you is great because then I can go back to Cheryl or Charles Woods or Pat mm-hmm. Smith or, or, or Bub's sister. Um, I'm forgetting her name. She's, she's actually a good friend of mine. Um, Katie Quigley, Katie, right? Yeah, Katie Quigley, and say, guys, this is this is they were treated with respect. Right. It, it, it is. It just it gives them closure. So I appreciate you. Any information you ever know, please hit me up on a text. Absolutely. Say, Chris, this is this is what I heard, and then I can pass. Okay, it I can I can ask around because you know I know a lot yeah, of people I appreciate in this it, community. Brother. 
But um, yeah, the reason why I ended up folding the flag like that is because um, the, the way that they did it before, uh, the flag was in danger of touching the ground. And I did not want to do anything to tarnish the, the honor, respect, and the service of this uh, individual who had, who had uh, lost their lives in service to our country. So, um, yeah, that's, I'm glad that it's, it's now uh, adopted, adopted and, yeah. and my little, yeah. my little mark on history and stuff, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> the bustler the method. Bustler. I love it, man. <laughs> and well, that's, that's, what's awesome about you talking about this because it, you, the flag has become a political oh, yeah. statement and it's into guys like yourself, myself, millions of, uh, uh, you know, I say million, well, over the years, yes, but soldiers and airmen and seamen and, and coast guardies and it, it's not political. Right. It shouldn't be. It should actually be. It's it's it represents everyone in this country and those that have sacrificed, given everything for this country. It it's for them. It's it's not a it's not you should be a political statement or a political a political symbol. It's not. It's sacred. To all of us, to this collective idea of of liberty, freedom. I mean, I, I think this is just such an important story. And it's funny Chris said this because I the same exact thing, honestly, was going through my head as you're discussing this. And, and I think the problem in America today is, yeah, I, I do really do think people need to hear your story because I think people yeah. just being told, you better stand for the flag, <laughs> it doesn't really resonate doesn't with them. Resonate. And the problem yeah. is we have an all-voluntary military. So we have yep. 1% to 2%, I think, of people, maybe less than that, who even serve. So there's people all over the country who don't know anyone who served. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about this this morning as I was going through a walk and thinking that we were going to do this interview. We haven't had a commander-in-chief who's had any service since George H.W. Bush. And yeah, yeah. A, a lot of kids today wouldn't even, you know, they weren't alive when George H.W. Bush was in office. He wasn't, that was 1988 to 1992. So I, I do think there's a reason that respect is not there. And I think if people heard your story, they would go, oh, I think at least some people would say, okay, it clicks now. I get why we stand right. for this. I get, and I get why some of us get offended by it, even though I never served under political, uh, political ideologies. I never went over as a military uh, in the army or a contractor because of politics. I went over because I wanted to serve. I wanted to do the job. Right. I wanted to, I, I was proud and I still am proud to be an American and proud to pretend you do. You feel like you're protecting freedoms. And, and I'm not going to lie to you. I enjoyed it too. Ian and I've had this conversation. I loved doing what I was doing. I, I don't, I'm not going to say I didn't, um, but got people, the, the flag and the flag was always the symbol of that. And being in countries and seeing it up in the air yeah. in other countries always made you feel proud, but also man, I mean, it made you feel like you're at home. It, it brought those, I'm still home, you know, going to a consulate and seeing it up, up going to a base and seeing it up in the air. You look at it and you're like, man, that, that thing's awesome. It, it, it's, I love being here. I love serving my country and to have it, have it utilized as a political symbol for either side. I think Sully's what this flag really means for us and your story, just what you said, mm -hmm. man, that, that hits home because you have more experience with that flag and what it really means for service members and what it should mean for everybody in this country than any of us. Cause, and, and you got the bustler method. I mean, yeah. you got the shit, you got the method named after you <laughs> and you treat it with respect. And that's, that gives me chills. It does. It gives me chills down my spine. Cause I, you, I would love it. If you if, have uh, attention to detail, know, more people would hear about this story. It's not, like I said, it's not a average military story. It's yeah. 
it's a story of of uh, it's a human story. It's a military story, but it's also a human story of trying to get this um, to honor the guys who had gone forth to do what their country had asked them to do. Uh, all politics aside, you know, when when you're out there on the ground, boots, the politics is a million miles away. Eight million miles you're away. Just, <laughs> you're just trying to get the job done and bring all your guys home with yeah. all their fingers and toes. And and uh, and that's it, you know, and, and be able to go home. Do, do you when you got off the plane, I, I always and I, I talk I've talked about this on shows before. I've written about it in books in my other books. But when you served and when you got off the plane, when you stepped on U.S. soil, did, my feeling was I, I always just I always felt like I was coming back to Disney. It's like the first time going to Disneyland. You got off. You, you're out of Iraq. You're out of Libya. You're Afghanistan. You step off the plane and you're like in Chicago or you're or you're flying onto a base. Maybe you're flying into Dover or you're flying over into Andrews. Or mm-hmm. But you get on American soil. And every time, every time over ten year period, every time I stepped off a plane and got on American soil, I felt like, man, I'm back in Disneyland again. This is awesome. <laughs> but I don't know if you had the same feelings when when you got back over because I know you did multiple trips. What did you feel, or did you not feel uh, at all? And you just the like first I'm home. time, I was thankful of being home. Um, I remember now the the thermometer they had after we did our our rotation <laughs> yeah and yeah. uh they brought us back down to kuwait and we sat us down for two or three months yeah and now the thermometer they had was sitting in the sun so but it said it read 143 degrees <laughs> okay. i don't know if they were acting, but it read 143 degrees because that was showing everybody and they had no air conditioners so i was we we're pounding water that's been sitting in the sun all day Oh, yeah, that's great. My getting, normal, all that, getting all that plastic in you. Yeah, that's great, too. Although all the uh, <laughs> my normal weight before was I was what, 165. I came home at 134 because, Damn, yeah, man. I lost so much weight. And so coming home, uh, I was happy to get a glass full of ice, you know, <laughs> and to turn on the air conditioner and sit in front of it. And, you know, I was happy to just do that stuff. And, and I wanted to try to connect with my daughter as much sure. as I could. Yeah. Um, and, and um, my, my second trip, I felt like I would just came home from an, like an accident, like, you know, um, my body still hurt. And wow, that shit was crazy. You know, like, <laughs> Yeah. I should be yeah. dead, but thank God I'm not. But that was crazy, you know. And I, I come home, and I was one of the few guys from from my my particular unit to volunteer to go back to go over on my my mm-hmm. deployment. So when I got hurt, they had a big welcoming home party for me and stuff. A lot of the guys that served with an OIF one had, had uh, you know come out and stuff, and it was really cool to see them. And, and and get all the well wishes. I just wanted a quiet night, and next thing you know, we're having a party. And and uh, so it was kind of surreal. But my third trip, the whole time on my third trip coming home, um, I felt like I was in a dream. Like, this wasn't real. I'm going to wake up, and I'm still going to be back in September, and I got to do this whole deployment over again. Sure. That, um, that was – it was such a – bad deployment i mean your brain your brain had had enough i mean your your brain had gone through enough at that point it's just you were overloaded yeah yeah it sounds like both of you guys kind of knew when you were like ready to tap out i mean you more with contracting but right well i i i mean i i i 
I would still be doing it if I wasn't forced to <laughs> forced to tap out. I, I wouldn't still be doing it now. I'm too damn old. But I probably would have done it a few more years. Dell Comstock's yeah, older than you, and he's still I know, doing I it. Know, but, I, but I think, I, he, I I think never... he loves it, man. I don't. You know what? You know what I wanted to mention to you guys because you were describing the flag thing, and and just to get back to that for a second, did either of you by any chance see the speech that Gene Simmons gave at the White House like a year ago? Gene no. Simmons from Kiss, dude, it was awesome. And, and it's it's funny because people were, um, you know, critical because they're like, why is Gene Simmons from Kiss speaking at the White House? And there are people, you know, why not? Talk- well, and also it's I not know. like he went to talk about, uh, you know, Kiss being on their last tour or something. He gave an amazing speech about his mom being a Holocaust survivor, him coming to America and what the flag means to him. And it's like hearing those stories from you, hearing that stuff from Gene Simmons, it was like, I'm going to see if I could pull it up real quick, because okay. genuinely it was like one of the best speeches I, I ever heard. And it was about what the flag sta- means to him, why the flag is so important. And it's just whether I'm hearing from you, I think people need to hear these. It's not about just you better stand for the flag because right. you do, Chris, as Chris says, you do have the freedom to not stand for it. Yeah. But I think if people realized what it meant, yeah. something would click for, for some of these people who don't have friends, don't have family who's ever served. Um, I'm going to see if I could pull it up, but it was, okay. it was great. I was born in Israel. I know I don't look Swiss, <laughs> and uh, I'm a, a proud son of a concentration camp survivor of Nazi Germany. My mother was 14 when she was in the camps. Uh, we're, I'm measuring my words because I'm about to break up again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and again, my mother just passed at 93, but... Almost there, 10 seconds control. (laughs) If Americans could see and hear my mother, almost there, talk about America, they would understand. And uh, I'll just cut to the chase. When, When we first came to America, my mother let me stay up and watch TV with her, and I couldn't speak English very well. And my mother could barely get by. She worked six days a week, and at night, we would watch the news and whatever, and by 12 o'clock, the three or four TV stations would go off the air, and you would hear this kind of just noise, and people presumably would go to sleep. Before then, we saw a jet flying through the sky, on TV, a jet flying through the sky, and a man in a very deep voice was saying something, I couldn't understand it, and the jet then turned skyward and flew seemingly into the heavens through the clouds, and I remember what the man said, and saw the face of God, and then it, it melted into the, a black and white, because in those days we didn't have color TV, the flag was full screen billowing and I heard, da, 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 you know, the, the national anthem, and I didn't know what it was or what was going on, and it was almost time to go to sleep. It was late, and every time, uh, every time my mother 
saw the flag, she'd start crying. As an eight-year-old boy, I didn't understand why, but from my mother's point of view, we were finally safe. I may, uh, I may have been born in the country, everybody, give me two seconds. I may have been born in the country that people throughout history have referred to as the promised land, but take my word for it. America is the promised land for everybody. And don't be ashamed, don't hesitate. <clears throat> we need to teach young people to be comfortable with saying, God bless America. End of my story. Yeah, that just, uh, and I hope it, you know, hit you guys. But when I heard that, I mean, it's just, you don't hear those stories enough. Uh, to me, I think. Of and coming from someone that's, I, I think sometimes the people that, that are on the other side of, and I have, there are sides here as far as whether they respect the flag or not. Um, I think when it comes from somebody other than a, a veteran or a soldier, I, honestly, I think they listen more. Sometimes they'll come, it'll come from a veteran. I've seen it where people, it's almost like an eye roll. It's like, oh yeah, we get it guys. We get it. You love the flag. Well, the story that, that the bustler method and, <laughs> and Christian said, they understand why, but when you have people like Gene Simmons and, and that's why they are public figures and they do have influence when it comes from somebody like that, it, it does resonate. And sometimes it, it reaches people that we can't reach. I, we love to say that soldiers and veterans can reach everybody, but we, we can't. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with political reasons or where veterans sometimes lie. And they see that where we've been stereotyped. Hey, we're always going to be Republican. We're always going right. to, we're always, we love, we love everything Republican. We hate everything. And but you know what, you know the what the case. truth is though? I mean, survey after survey has shown that you guys as service members are way more respected in the public eye than politicians, than no, any of the, damn well it, should it's be. true. Yeah, no, but, <laughs> but it's, it's the truth. And I think maybe sometimes you guys forget that, that I think this country really does, at least most of us love its veterans. Unfortunately, as we've seen with all the politicization going on, police officers, not the most popular right now. And that's just the truth. But I think you guys actually do have a lot of sway over the public. And, well, and, and I think it's a good thing. Well, that, and uh, Christian, you have way your two cents in here. Which I know you, we have a new on the podcast in here, me and Ian. Are, <laughs> are you, Christian, you just stay over there. We're going to talk amongst ourselves for a little bit. We'll get right back to you. <laughs> Stop it. Oh, I felt so uncomfortable again. I looked right in your eyes again. <laughs> so, but uh, you know, you know, for your little bit here, in your your gut, what what do you what do you think? And, and you again, with everybody that I've known or I've talked to via the podcast, do you have the most experience on dealing uh, and handling, uh, respectfully handling the flag um, on an everyday basis? So, I, I your opinion matters to me. Whether it matters to anybody else out there, you can guys can go to hell. If it doesn't matter to you, <laughs> but it matters to me. So, I, I'd like to know, and I want to know what you think. I've um, my story is a little, it's a little bit different than most of the average Americans because you know, yeah, I I grew up in a military family, whose my grandfather fought in World War II with General MacArthur. 
Um, my granduncle uh, landed on Omaha Beach, uh, was wounded in a, in, well, he got evacuated with trench foot in Bastogne. And, um, wow. and so he yeah. just passed away like two years ago. Um, so my dad did three tours in, in the Vietnam War, um, where he met and married my mom. And so my mom's an immigrant. And um, I grew up looking across the fence and seeing the Japanese flag or the Filipino flag, seeing people living in, in, in slums in, in the Philippines during yeah. back when uh, Marcos was in, uh, was yeah. in power. You know, same thing in Thailand uh, before we came here to the United States. Um, I grew up, you know, believing that the United States is something good. It is something um, that is the champion for freedom. It is the it is something that, like Ronald Reagan said, is the last bastion of of hope and freedom. Because without us, where is where does everybody else go? Um, and, yeah. and I seen it from joining into, uh, the reserves and doing hundred, literally hundreds of funerals. I volunteered mm-hmm. to do funerals before they even started paying us because that was my way of honoring those who had come before us. Um, I've done funerals from anywhere from Vietnam war veterans to the veterans who fought in the chosen reservoir in the Korean war wow. to Iwo Jima. Um, uh, veterans and stuff. Um, one kid who came home uh, to surprise his mom and dad. Uh, yeah, surprises mom and dad for Christmas, and he goes to a bar, and somebody um, puts him his head in a headlock and puts a pistol to his ear. So the um, we did his funeral, and there was a slow march of the Marines hymn as we were in there, and stuff that really tear jerks you, and, and you see how much that hint, that hymn meant to and. and Black Drake yeah. casket meant to that family. Um, and uh, to fast forward to see combat for the very first time and going past uh, as we initially invaded Iraq and seeing the Shias uh, down in southern Iraq waving us in and then knowing that just back in the early 90s, Saddam Hussein tried to wipe them off the face of the earth um, when they rebelled and when he uh, rerouted the Tigris and Euphrates rivers away from the homeland. And so now I remember seeing this little girl who had a pink ruffled shirt, you know, like a dress with white lace and and white patent leather shoes out in the middle of the desert. And you couldn't see another structure for as far as the eye could see. And I realized that they had dressed their daughter up in the, in the, the best clothes that she had to welcome the Americans in, you know, to to see that. And that's also in the book. Um, And also to put that American flag on all of those remains, the guys that handled where you saw the impact upon that individual unit where I've seen first sergeants, salty old first sergeants cry like little babies because they're, their uh their sol- their soldiers had gotten gotten killed um uh a uh, uh, lieutenant colonel standing on top of a, a burned out humvee screaming to god why he was, wants them to take them all home you know to me that flag represents it doesn't like you said earlier it doesn't represent politics it it represents duty honor commitment 
And it means to be based upon an idea that that we as human beings deserve better than living under the the boot of a of a tyrant to live yeah. under a regime who who um if they if you don't fit into their norms they take you out into a field and yeah. shoot you sure, you know sure. yeah. and and yeah. you know i i had my mom growing up my mom's had friends who were <clears throat> vietnamese um, who, who I remember uh, talking to her one day, I was a small kid and I said, Vietnam is bad. And she's like, yeah, Vietnam, I, I got out of Vietnam, but I thank God I live in America now. And she told me that um, she remembers as a small girl washing clothes on the Mekong river and seeing body parts floating down the river. You know, uh, and she goes, yeah. I never have to see that again for the rest of my life because I'm an American now. You know, stuff like that, that that flag is a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of freedom. It's a symbol of of that we as a country, as an idea, can be better than who we were, uh, you know, just a few years before. That if it wasn't for that flag, there wouldn't be uh, the... the uh, the human rights that you see now, because nobody else, the the, uh, the civil rights movement and all that, that didn't happen anywhere else but our country. You know, yeah. we represent. Yeah. We're the example. We're that that shining castle upon the the hill that everybody looks at and says to, to they, that they can emulate. You know, we not may not be perfect, but we're a pretty damn good example of of what it means to be. Good and free, just and, and right. free. Freeze it, freeze it. Yeah, I, people. I don't think they realize. You know, with all the, what other country could people get away with the protests that are going oh, on yeah. that turn violent yeah. and without having a response from the government that would completely wipe the protest? I mean, I know I say wipe. I mean, run them over with tanks, exactly. put machine gun fire. There, there's no other place. And again, the protests, or if you want to pro. The, protest that's the freedom we fought for that freedom as well to have the right for you to protest and do what you're doing but you got to consider yourself lucky to be doing it here because you do that anywhere else oh my it'd be mass carnage from the there'd be it would be a complete stoppage from the military coming at you it'd be Tiananmen Square in Portland and in oh, yeah. Minneapolis and Denver and 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 people realize how lucky that we are even just to have the ability to pro and not be Mass slaughtered exactly. by a rounded up in the middle of the night that, and disappeared. Exactly you know, stuff that they were doing over in Iraq. You know, they even exactly. you didn't have, yeah. to, have to do anything. And if somebody, yeah. your next door neighbor, was like, "Oh, uh, I don't like him because he's got four goats and I have two you know, um, <laughs> then you know that you're going to get a bag over your head and disappear in the middle of the night. Nobody will ever yep. see you again. Well, that, yeah. that's that's why I'm glad you, you said because it is we we are blessed, and that's why I always say we are blessed to be living in this country. Whatever thing you, we we are so lucky because we have the ability to do that with with minimal. And there are if you if you break the law, you break the law, but it is with minimal repercussions for the you know uh, as as a whole. We have bad apples. Yeah. We've seen the bad apples, but we don't have a government that comes in and mows everybody right. down to stop it to, no for to, sure cool. same yeah, thing well, well said brother same yeah well said same thing in north korea 
Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. look, I, 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 we, I, I think this has been a great episode. I want to end it on on something that's uh, fun and and not morbid <laughs> or anything. So Wait, I, I, I wish everybody could see Chris's face when he does the. When he does the <laughs> we'll eventually, yeah, we'll eventually. Yeah, get I wish video. you get a screenshot. That would be our. That yeah, would be our we, click I right there. At the end, but um, <laughs> but uh, no, what I, what I was going to throw in there is as kind of the last fun thing to ask you about is you, as I mentioned, you got to do Jocko Willink's podcast. I've heard from people who've been on the show. He's got like a pretty badass oh, setup. Yeah. It's at a gym, yeah. right? Yeah. Just tell us about Jocko's setup. Oh, so man, I can be it's, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, um, I go in there and I knew it was in a gym. And uh, so I get there and they got a, like a coffee bar to the left and you got all these like rings, like uh, you'll have like Muay Thai fighters and one, and then you have like jujitsu mats over here and, and little t-shirt area up front. And they have an octagon that's over here further on the left side. And it's pretty intimidating when you walk in, you know, <laughs> dude, it's cool when you, it's cool when you hear about these guys who have like elaborate oh, setups yeah. though, because I don't, I think this audience gets it, but some people don't get it. Like this, what we're doing right now is the future. I, I think old media in a few years, it's going to become pretty much obsolete. This is what people my yeah. age and much younger are doing. They're listening to podcasts. They're listening to long form interviews, stories like yours. Um, so, yeah, when I hear that Jocko Willink could afford, you know, a giant setup and is getting millions upon millions of plays each episode, like, that's the future, man. These, these like, dinosaurs in the media, it's it's not going to be around the way that it is much longer. I don't think. Yeah, I, you know, they had, his little room is up, upstairs. It, it, it's really cool. It's soundproof, and you get this big table. It's kind of like you get about to get interrogated. So it's like little light, right? <laughs> you got you got your poly- Did everywhere. you have the polygraph machine yeah. out and you got your hooked up there? All this. <laughs> Are you telling the truth? Are you not? To- yeah, yeah, that's, I, that's a, I don't know. Ian, I don't know if we'll ever have any, because we're never going to live in the same areas together. Never. Maybe so. if we did Florida, Florida would be cool. Yeah, cool. Know. But why don't you have it? And then I can still call in from my bedroom. <laughs> I don't know though. I mean, let, let's just say like hypothetically though, some company what you know, actually I was going to say some company, but you know, if you've seen what uh, they're doing with Joe Rogan with Spotify, they seem oh, to be yeah, censoring yeah. things. I, I, if a company comes in and does not censor us and does not tell us you can't have this person on naples, and they're like florida. here's, and naples, like, here's a million dollars we're yeah. going to naples we're going to we're going <laughs> to the, the gulf side and we'll do it from uh the altera which is a huge training facility awesome. out there that that and we'll, we'll put it in we'll, we'll have it in one of the cqb rooms right That'd be it, be cool. you got to clear you got you got to clear the hallway to get to the podcast here here's and we'll, we'll put some airsoft stuff some op four mm-hmm. there okay here's your gun if you don't make it to that podcast by noon, you're not going to be on it. And go. There you go. <laughs> and here's a this flashbang. Is, <laughs> this has been super fun, though, man. It really has. And and even though, look, I, it's it's not exactly like the most jubilant of topics. I get it. It's a deep subject, but I think people need to hear it, and I think people need to read the book. So once again, it's mm-hmm. no tougher duty, no yeah. greater honor. A memoir of a mortuary affairs marine. No tougher You're holding up the book at no tougher duty on Twitter at no underscore tougher <laughs> underscore duty on uh, instagram pre, uh you know appreciate you. we'll have to have you on again we will yeah absolutely i'd love to be at, back on again That'd it be may awesome. be another two years till he can schedule you he'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll keep telling you we're having you. <laughs> yeah. god bless you brother god bless you thanks man i still see his picture but i think it's frozen i think, I think we're good he's frozen yeah 
I don't know. I think of uh, that South Park where it's like, goodbye. <laughs> no. He's still there. You remember yeah. that episode? <laughs> he thinks like he's going to go into the future, I think, or the past. <laughs> I don't remember exactly, but he, he keeps on goodbye. But then he's still there. Yeah, it's cool. Anyway, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad we got into that subject matter. And, uh, you know, I, I do feel bad whenever I say we're going to book someone and then it takes like well, an entire no, year for me to book I, them. Yeah, but, but, but can you, we, we only have so many slots and, in, in, you know, and it, it, we're, we were still trying to figure out at the time how we were going to do it. So during that time frame at the beginning. Yeah, I, it's, it's true. From the very beginning, man, I have to say, man, I love, I really do love the mission of what we're doing and the people that yeah. we're having on. And there's no other podcast. I mean, I mean, there's no other podcast I'd rather be doing. I, I, I don't at all miss covering the minutia of the election or any of that. I think this is way more important. And every time we do a podcast, especially the last few that I think have been home runs, I, 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 there's no way people are going to hear this. And I think, and think to themselves, like, I think everybody's going to get something positive uh, yeah. is what I should no, I, I agree. I think most of our podcasts, everybody pulls something positive that you can, if you're, if you're willing to listen and, and listen, not hear, but listen, um, that you can pull something positive from it. So, um, no, I like what we're doing too, brother. And we, we, you know, guys like Christian that again, that's not, that's not a normal job. And I don't think there's anybody else out there that uh, other than Christian that talks about, mortuary affairs and their experiences within it i don't know anybody else i've never read anybody no else. i i'm pretty sure it's you know it's almost like how leo yeah, jenkins yeah. said on his episode that none of those none of you guys really you're in a yeah, different yeah. uh class because your book was really yeah, cia yeah, yeah. contracting but none of the none of the rangers wrote a book until nick yeah. irving did it and it was almost like we have the permission now to do it Christian is is a trailblazer of his own because no, there's no other book like his at no, all. Not that, and, but how he said why he did it. Uh, that's why the majority, I think, ninety nine percent of veterans write books about. It's not to it's not to make money. It's to get it's it's to get it out. It's to, it's it's therapeutic. It is very therapeutic. And you know, Leo's another one. I I don't for for I don't believe for one second that Leo writes books because he needs to make money. I think he does it, especially the poetry. He needs to get get it out. This is the this is a positive, constructive way to get it out. That hopefully other veterans and other people that have served or gone through traumatic experiences that may not have served but have gone through trauma. This is how you can deal with it. And this is how you can do it constructively yeah. and, and doing it where it has a positive effect, not only on yourself, because you do, you feel good. You write, you write, I have, I, I ain't gonna lie. I feel good. It's, it's work, but I felt good after the Ranger way. I felt good after the Patriots creed. I did like, man. Um, but so you're doing it partly for yourself because you want to feel good. You want to get stuff out and it makes you feel better, but also you're doing it. So hopefully somebody will read it and be like, okay, you know what? I can feel better too. Let me, this, this is the roadmap, like, like uh, Christian said, or my guy said that the FM manual, the field manual, this is how you can do it. And then having somebody come back and say, you know what? You really helped me. It's, 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 it's reciprocity over and over. You're helping, they're helping you feel good. You're helping them feel good. People are getting positive. People are moving forward. And it's just, it's just a continual positive cycle that the podcast, I think is a big part of that, man, that we, that we have right now. So yeah, I completely agree with you on all fronts with it. Yeah outstanding yeah and and i, I want to visit leo's place in mexico I, f- I feel like a day in the life of him is just like surfing tanning 
probably drinking some beer. And going to Cabo you know? and hanging out and and drinking, drinking some at one of Sammy Hagar's place. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I want. I really do want to go visit at some point. And I and I could tell Leo's the type of guy that uh, that I could call him and just be like, "Hey, I'm going to come visit hey. you in Mexico." <laughs> cool. I do, I really don't think he'd have any reservations about it. So I I genuinely am going to take him up at some point. Yeah, you need. To. Um, you know what? That's where um. <laughs> When me and Tan, my when me and Tanya had our, we didn't ever have a. We, we talked about it on the phone. We didn't ever have a wedding, but when we we did a kind of, kind of a uh, just a ceremony when I was uh, came back from a trip from Ranger Battalion. Or wait, wait, no, it was when I had the break in service. Actually, that's when I had. So we got married in right before I went to Ranger School, which was two early uh, late uh, two thousand, and then we had our little ceremony, like a little ceremony. It was it was in um. Cabo San Lucas at, at the, uh, at a little resort there. It was six, seven years later that we did it. And I can tell you from being there, you need to go there. Cause that's where Leo, from what I, it, lives. Yeah. it is, it's just, it's so, it is, it's, it's laid back chill. It's you think of Cabo, Cabo Wabo and Sammy Hagar. That's what you, and it's just surfing and relaxing and just drinking. It looks awesome. It, it, and then the question is, you know, would you do ayahuasca with Leo? No, nah. <laughs> I don't know if I would either. I'm not. A, I'm not a big drug guy, but I've heard such positive things about you ayahuasca. Know, I take yeah. it back. But then again, I I would probably freak out and I'd be like running around, being like, oh, I can't handle this. I take it back. <laughs> if it was with Leo, yeah, I probably would. I I would. No, I, I would because I think I I know I'd be able to handle it fine. Um, not that I'm, I, but that I, is true. You have to be around people that you trust just yeah. from my experience with marijuana, which is the only experience I have. If you're around people that, that you, that you think are sketchy, that's when you <laughs> you get all paranoid. It's happened to me, but if I was with Leo, yeah, I'd probably have a fun time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but... with that, uh, wrapping things up here, Fort Scott munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as directly online through F-O-R-T-S-C-O-T-T-M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N-S.com, FortScottMunitions.com. Link is in the description and use the promo code BATTLELINE for 15% off your order. Only available to our listeners. Support us, support Fort Scott, BATTLELINE, promo code FortScottMunitions.com. They're a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE Podcast. Uh, since this is going up on Monday, I should say to all you out there, have a great Halloween. Her, let's go trick-or-treating, except in Nebraska where it's butt-ass cold. Just <laughs> dress warm. Yeah, happy Halloween, everybody. Go dress up. Go wear a mask for real, a real mask, and have fun. <laughs> not the not the mask that you think you all look like Bane in, because you don't. <laughs> go, 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 good man. All right, take care, everyone. That's all for this episode of the Battleline Podcast, but we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk.
Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never quit. Yeah.